Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Double X Gabfest for Thursday, August 10th, the Mr. Clean is Totally Sexy edition. I'm June Thomas, the managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and as usual, I'm joined by Noreen Malone of New York Magazine. Hey, Noreen. Hi, June. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hannah Rosen is on a much-deserved vacation, but we're very excited to have a very special guest this week, Latifa Lyles, an expert on women in work and former director of the Women's Bureau at the Labor Department under President Obama. What an august guest. She's joining us from Washington, D.C. Hi, Latifa. Hi, how are you? Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're very happy. Very excited. Um, This week, we'll be discussing one Google employee's 10-page manifesto explaining why diversity efforts are discriminatory to men and why women are just biologically unsuited to tech careers and leadership roles. And the responses it drew, we'll talk about the new freeform series, The Bold Type, set at a women's magazine, not completely unlike Cosmopolitan. And we'll close with a discussion of Charlie XCX's boys and its self-conscious use of the female gaze. And then in our Slate Plus segment, we'll discuss a short statement published in the latest issue of Wired magazine. It offered thanks to various women from sandwich makers to senior editors, and it might have gone unremarked upon if that issue had contained any feature stories written by women at all. We'll ask, was that issue of Wired magazine sexist? If you're not yet a Slate Plus member, you can start your free two-week trial by visiting slate.com slash XX Plus for all that content and more. And actually, before we get going, we have a special request. Our next episode will be a call-in show. Um, Usually on our Slate Plus segments, we answer the question, is such a thing sexist? And on August 24th, we'll have a whole show full of those questions, only they'll be from you, our listeners. Please share your is it sexist conundrums and your could this possibly be sexist brain teasers by calling 929-266-8195. That's 929-266-8195 and leaving a message with your question. We can't use all of them, but if we choose yours, we will use your voice. So be prepared for international fame and no fortune whatsoever. We'll be taping somewhere, somewhere around August 18th. So call as soon as you can. Uh, And again, that's 929-266-8195. All right. I think it's going to be a good Is It Sexist show in the age of Trump. I just have this feeling that the past year has brought more sexist situations upon our audience than ever before. Yeah, we certainly never have a problem choosing topics. It sounds like, (laughs) which of these 50,000 outrages shall we focus on this week? I love doing that show. I'm glad glad we're doing it again. Yes. So please call everyone. And if you need the number, you just go to slate.com slash double X and you'll find it on our show page. All right, let's get on with the show. Last weekend, Motherboard reported that a 10-page anti-diversity screed written by a Google software engineer had gone viral inside the company. Once Gizmodo put the full text of the manifesto on its site, it went real-world viral. 
setting off yet another conversation about sexism and racism in Silicon Valley. The man later revealed to be Harvard graduate James Damore blamed the underrepresentation of women in tech and specifically at Google on psychological differences between men and women rather than on bias and discrimination. He was critical of programs designed to address race and gender disparities at Google and he claimed that Google was an ideological echo chamber, a politically correct monoculture, as he put it, that stifled free expression and alienated conservatives. On Monday, Damore was fired and Google CEO Sundar Pichai said that Damore's words had created a hostile environment for female employees, so he had to go. Latifa, you're an expert on women and work. (laughs) And indeed, your old place of employment, the Department of Labor, is investigating Google for systematically underpaying female employees. So that's right. So so yeah, th- this is this is fascinating. You know, there's there's several um, points that I want to get to, but the, just on the on the outside, I wanted to say that there are so many people, white men in particular, and folks who just they don't get this diversity stuff, right? They don't they don't understand why they need training, sensitivity. I've been on boards or very well-meaning liberal white men are just like, uh, is that when they come and tell us that we're racist? I mean, it's just a lot of cynicism and it's like, you know, yeah, it is actually. So so <laughs> there's a couple of things that, that, that come out to me. So being at the Women's Bureau at the Department of Labor, first of all, it's like, what does that mean? So a 90 plus year old agency within the, the Department of Labor to essentially, uh, you know, make the point and advocate for the fact that women still have a long way to go and there's things we can do institutionally to help that along in terms of equity in the workplace, right? So, of course... What we encounter is a lot of, I call them, I have like a lot of different prototypes of types of men who just don't get it. There's the wage gap denier. There's the wage gap mansplainer. There's the, some of my favorite people are women. Here's a picture of my grandmother. Um, <laughs> I actually had somebody do that at a, a job interview, actually. Um, and, you know, I have a friend who's, you know, okay, so, so let's see. There are people who call us in, right? And they say, so there's one guy in particular who used to call all the time. Why isn't there a man's bureau, right? And it, all, we also like shrug it off and laugh and say, he doesn't get it, ha, 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 what a sexist. But it, not to be too cynical, but maybe maybe that's what we're m- missing. I mean, maybe there needs to be some sort of place for the this man, like the type of guy who's going to be so upset about like women achieving parity to sort of like – you know, go off somewhere and get some help under like, you know, maybe there should be a man's bureau, you know, like maybe that needs to go hand in hand with these diversity initiatives. Like there has to be a, you know, like sort of not sensitivity training, but like, so the men feel like it's for them and that they're being like, you know, taken care of, but there's some way to like, you know, let talk about how you're, this is making you feel like, you know, this, you know, it's like a therapy center. Kind of, but we wouldn't call it a therapy center. We would call it something more interesting. But, you know, I, I think that this idea that, first of all, I'm not saying that I'm sympathizing with this guy at all. Like, he's awful. Like, this is, there's nothing good about this situation. But it's so clear that people just don't get it. Like, I think in this guy's world, like, the fact that he even wrote this, I think, what did he think was, what does he think was going to happen? Like, this idea that he could just sort of write this and there'd be no consequences, he wouldn't lose his job. But there has to be some sort of place where the people, the Google types who, you know, I'm not making stereotypes. So maybe he is emotionally, maybe he's a little awkward, you know, maybe he's not like the 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 the, the, the prom king. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of friends. I don't know. But I feel like, you know, it's getting in the way, obviously. And I think that as, as much as we we joke about people like this, 
there are people who believe that, you know, women won't come because they're not interested. And this kind of like banter makes women not want to come, frankly. And part of part of what happens in this pipeline that we hear about is that women know how to do these jobs, right? So what happens? They're educated. They're even more educated than men. They get to the job. The culture sucks and they leave. And this is like another example of that. And I don't think that Silicon Valley is anywhere close to dealing with these issues. And this obviously is another reason. This is another, you know, um, you know, display of just how bad it is. I mean, hostile work environment, I'm sure, doesn't even do it justice. Well, um, let, let's let's step back one second. And Noreen, let's just kind of break down what this guy was saying. I mean, uh, as Christina Cotarucci pointed out in Slate, it was a lot of his talking points were taken right from the sort of men's rights activist playbook. Yes, I am so interested in this as a text of the internet circa 2017. To me, it is like almost more out of Reddit culture um, and Chan culture in some ways than it is out of tech culture. And those are not totally unrelated spheres. But so so he goes through and um, breaks down First, why he thinks there is, you know, a lack of diversity at Google. And it's interesting, he mostly focuses on gender, although, um, you know, obviously Google has, you know, some problems with other kinds of diversity, too. Um, Worst kinds. Yeah. Yeah. And he um, and he basically argues that women are biologically less competitive than men are less competitive than men for biological reasons. Um, that's one of his main points. And that to have an engineering job in tech, you must, you know, be driven by competition. You must be driven by status. And women in the world are rewarded for looks and not status. And and so he sort of says, if we try to force the issue with all these panels that you are making me go to, we're just like going against nature. Um and then the other part of it that I think is so interesting, and this is part of part of why I think it's a Reddit text in some ways, is that he then links this to political biases. Yeah. And he sort of, you know, there's this big thing in the manosphere. It's it comes from the Matrix. It's called red pilling. It's like you see the world as it really is. And this this way that he's talking reminds me of that. So he's like, well, what people don't understand is that they have these left biases and right biases and that they're really actually behavioral Um and, you know, the the ones that he lists for the left are compassion for the weak. Humans are inherently uncooperative, open, idealistic. And for the right, he says respect for the strong and authority. Change is dangerous, pragmatic. Humans are inherently competitive. Um, he, sees, he sees the world in very binary terms. Men, women, left, right. Studies prove everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm waking you up to all of this. It's just such a it's it's such an interesting worldview that I'm not saying it's, yeah, yeah. it's one I at all espouse, <laughs> right. but as a like reflection of what is actually happening in the culture and not just in the culture in Silicon Valley, but the way that people on the Internet and in politics are beginning to talk about these issues. Um, he seems to have absorbed a lot of it. Yeah. So the other part that was really fascinating to me was the, the ideological echo chamber, this idea that he was somehow being stifled or that the culture at Google ironically, was somehow exclusive, excluding him and sort of, you know, p putting him in a box or disallowing any kind of like open form. I thought that was so fascinating because for a couple of reasons, like for one thing, you know, the Google sort of brand is in some ways all about ideology, right? I think, you know, I have a, I have a friend who is a Google spouse and she reminded me of that movie, The Firm. She's like, it's like The Firm. Oh, and wow. this idea, this <laughs> well, idea so that... I know, really. But this, I know, not that bad. But this idea that, you know, you kind of sign up for 
this paradigm. You know, it's like the slice of the world that can have the Google job. And, and so people sign up in some way for getting into that culture and what that every, and what all that means. They can go work someplace else, but they want the Google job. And what does that mean? And Google prides itself on like, we have a culture, we have a creed. You know, it's very subculture in a way. And I wonder what this says about you know, that bubble, because I think that in some ways, you know, it's showing that maybe the bubble doesn't exist. Maybe people aren't as, you know, all of like mind. And, you know, I have this vision of, you know, these sort of like robot type people. They're, they're all very like smart and interesting and creative, but, you know, there's certainly a, a Google way, right? And, and, and they want you to stay at Google. They want you to eat at Google. They want you to, you know, you know, like, you know, take naps at Google, whatever the thing is. But, but you kind of like, you kind of absorb it. You kind of swallow that. And it's interesting that, you know, on the one hand, he's saying that this culture is very, um, pro women and pro people of color and doesn't understand about people who just want to be Google engineers who are white men. But at the same time, how could that be the reality when they have like like 2% people of color and like, you know, so few women? So the idea that this guy even encounters people of color and women, like, does he even see women during the day, you know, because they just they just don't have diversity. So I, I don't know what instance or circumstance is creating this backlash, you know, because I don't see it. I don't see how that's possible with such low numbers that they have. Well, let me let me um, play devil's advocate, though, Latifah. I mean, he got fired. Doesn't that show that there's a, a monoculture? Doesn't that show that he broke the code and therefore he's being pushed out? I mean, some people will say that. Well, I think that part part of that, I think, is sort of the external brand. I think everybody wants to love Google. And frankly, at the same time, we really think about it. Like what would be – Google's like, you know um, – Refrigerators, like what would we not? What would we do if we didn't have Google? You know, and so this right, right. acceptance and wanting to accept that this is like you know where happy people go and good things happen is, I think, part of the external image, which is extremely important to their brand and their and their um, revenue. I think so. So there was a lot. I you know I'm not sure how much of it was. Of course, they have all these written creeds, and it's all very. And I've heard it's all very prescribed. But I think there's a whole lot more at stake from the external perspective for them. Noreen, this is maybe the third or fourth tech story we've covered in the last few months. Um, we do sometimes get letters criticizing us for focusing on the negative aspects of tech culture in Silicon Valley. But something is clearly going on. I mean, the larger culture seems to be really focusing on Silicon Valley and 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 for many reasons, including the sexism that's apparently at play there. Yeah, I mean, I think we keep talking about Silicon Valley over and over again because they're keeping like really horrible flare ups of sexism there, which I, I, you know, think it's pretty clearly because it is an uh, undiverse environment. And if you keep having an undiverse environment, this is going to keep happening. You know, people with worldviews like this are going to keep having their worldviews reinforced. Um, and then when that comes up against the rest of the world, that's what happens. I mean, I think we as a culture focus on Silicon Valley because it's like sexy and new and that's where people are making money and not worrying about their mortgages and instead, you know, going snowboarding and like guzzling champagne while they brush their teeth or whatever they're <laughs> doing with all their money. Um, just a just a PSA there. It really is better to use uh, water, especially if you live in a place with fluoride. Just carry on. But I, but this um, this guy, I actually do, I guess I 
have trouble thinking about him as specific to tech. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just sort of like the er sexist. Like, mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to me that he comes a- armed with these studies, these specific yeah. studies. And I have to say, reading reading over them, I recognize some of them as things we had talked about on Double X, right? Like we have had a discussion on here about whether women are more competitive than men and all that stuff. And we've gone over the nature versus nurture stuff. And there are ways that you can wield all of these studies to your advantage however you want to do it. Um, and and so I wonder, like, should we be fully discounting his arguments, right? Is there is there any universe in which it's worth it to actually engage with this guy? Or does, is that just like a path well, of, you know... Well, maybe that's what happened. Someone tried to engage him and, you know, <laughs> yeah. all hell broke loose. Yeah, I mean, apparently, the, you know, the, as, as, you know, all the stories said, they went Google this... His manifesto went viral inside Google because mm-hmm. apparently there are, you know, multiple ways in which Googlers have discussions, all these different kinds of, I guess, uh, you know, not exactly email aliases, but just, you know, places where they just talk about ideas, which, you know, in some ways is very, I don't know, inspirational. In other ways, it's like, how do you get anything done when you're spending all your time, you know, writing your manifestos? Um, but, you know, apparently there, there were both people who who kind of engaged and, and argued. And then a lot of people just said, this is wrong. And, and um, some, including perhaps this guy, were like, well, engage with the ideas. Don't just dismiss it. Don't just say that's not Google policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to me, that feels like, you know, as we said earlier, that is indeed reinforcing this kind of negative talks, reinforcing the the things that make Google and, and other tech places not as welcoming to women as they could be. Um, so I don't know that it's particularly valuable discussion to have. Think about this in the context of a workplace, right? This isn't this isn't a random internet forum. This is like right. you are on the one hand, yes, I I believe that we should um, you know, discuss everything and allow all viewpoints to to be out there. On the other hand, it's sort of an act of aggression against your female coworkers, right? right? right. Like how there's not really a way to interpret this if you're a female engineer other than like this guy thinks I either don't have the goods or I'm a diversity hire or whatever. Like it's 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 pretty um it's pretty rude. Yeah. Yeah. I still think that I focus on the the juxtaposition of the fact that they their swift response and firing him right away and the vitriol and his his manifesto, it, it, they're so stark. And so one of the things that jumps out at me is that, you know, a lot of companies at the top down level, like really, really, really top, have really great ideas about how they want their companies to be and they want their brand to be. And we, I saw this, you know, year after year talking to groups, you know, roundtables, like hordes of CEOs of small and large businesses. And also often what happens is that the idea is there, but there's no real – uh, you know, strategy as to how to make that actually mm-hmm. turn your culture around. And I think that mm-hmm. what's so clear about this and what we've seen in the past several months is that a lot of this stuff is, well, not so deep-seated, I guess. <laughs> a lot of this sort of sex, this resentment and sexism and like, you know, I'll work next to women, but I really don't want to and I won't really say anything. You know, there's a lot of assumptions that these companies are making about the, the readiness of their workforce to take these messages on. And so just sort of saying, here's who we are, you get on board. 
is not really realistic. And I think that it doesn't take mm. into account, you know, where people are really coming from. And I think if you do that, then you have to realize, I guess, well, we probably have some sexists working here or some people who don't really support women. But I think as a CEO or a company, you don't want to believe that. You don't want to think, you know, half of my workforce, you know, thinks that women are inferior. You know, no one wants to take that th- that leap, but you have to because what's happening is that their message is not getting through to who it needs to get through. And what how they train and what they do, like in the 70s, it was called consciousness raising for a reason, you know, is like you had to you had to raise the consciousness of people for, for in order for them to sort of engage in this 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 work. Um, this work for equality, this work for justice, whatever it was. So that's the other piece of it that's disconnected. I think some of these companies were like, hmm, we don't know why our numbers are not changing. Um, and we, you know, we, we said that we were really into diversity a couple of years ago, but, you know, the numbers of women have gone down. Like there's no, there's no know-how, you know, these folks know how to, yeah. how to run the world through the internet. That's all they know. And so like having a diversity <laughs> officer who I think, was she just hired or was she, was it? Yeah, she's very new. I think just a couple of weeks ago. Tough couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I will say about the fact that this guy got fired though? They just created a hero, right? Like everyone in Silicon Valley <laughs> or on the right who believes that, you know, free speech is being quieted and that, you know, we, we aren't really paying attention and we're just papering all this stuff over. They've got a martyr. It's it's yeah, it's sort of a tough probably get a book deal. Yeah, he will probably yeah. get a book yeah. deal. Uh, he'll expand his manifesto to uh, from 10 pages to 100 pages. <laughs> all right, Seriously. We, we need to move on, but uh, if you have any views on Silicon Valley sexism, are we scapegoating Silicon Valley when many other industries have terrible diversity records? Um, was this a positive uh, for Google, or uh, was he indeed? Did they indeed create a free speech martyr? Tell us at Facebook.com/slash/doublexgabfest. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Next, we come to The Bold Type, a new show on Freeform. That's the uh, channel that used to be ABC Family. And The Bold Type tells the story of Kat, Jane and Sutton, three 20-somethings who have come to New York to make it in the world of journalism and are working at a women's magazine called Scarlet. Executive produced and kind of sort of inspired by Cosmopolitan editor Joanna Coles, it's supposed to be the new Sex and the City. And since it's 2017, it's packed with storylines about sex and sexuality, career advancement and the best way to ask for a raise. It sounds like a show we should all like. Latifa, did you? (laughs) <laughs> well, I have to say, um, you know, the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, my gosh. And so one of the things that I have to tell you is like Devil Wears Prada is one of my favorite movies. And I know some of the comparisons have been made to, you know, the high powered magazine culture to that movie. And yeah. it's, you know, it has a so I kept trying to enjoy it. But I got there, I have to say, one of the redeeming things about it was that Kat, the bold and, you know, social media guru character, mm-hmm. um, sort of falls in love with this, like, Persian lesbian photographer that she wants to feature in the magazine. And that mm-hmm. got me through, like, three more episodes. <laughs> I was 
I mean, I was like, oh. So, so you know, th- obviously there's a lot there, too, about, yeah. you know, what that means. You know, she's Adina, who's the character, and she's wearing a hijab, and she talks mm-hmm. about what that means. Although, you know, there's a lot about this where there's some redeeming qualities to the show, but then there's total bricks from reality, you know? And yeah. then there's a yeah. lot of sort of, you know, prescribed box checking on social issues, which yes. isn't bad, um, but, you know, it's a little bit kind of like, wow, there there it is. So there's some things that you're <laughs> a little bit, a little bit um, un, you don't expect. But at the same time, you know, I think that, you know, it's not a bad show. It's 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 has a lot of messages. But I have to say the thing that really stood out to me the most was this that I know it's sort of like a millennial sort of it's like appealing to millennial people. Yeah. And so as a Gen Xer watching the show, I mean, I'm going to be the curmudgeon Gen Xer here <laughs> and just sort of say like, so I'm looking for Gen Xers. You know, the, the boss of one of the characters like interrupts the girl who's in, interrupting the board meeting to say like, why are you interrupting? Like the Gen Xers <laughs> always have to sort of clean it up and be big girls and mature. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And so then some ways I was I'm like, you know, like who like, there's there's 20 year old and then there's like the editor in chief and there's like nobody in between. Right. So right. as a Gen Xer, I was sort of like, you know, the Gen Xers are like behind, like, you know, in the hamster wheel, you know, <laughs> making sure that the magazine doesn't like fall apart. Right. So there's there's a lot of, you know, what people say about millennials, I think. There's a lot of stereotypical like coddling and, you know, yeah. you could, if you really did believe that, you could see lots of examples of that in in the show. Like, you know, oh, come here and give me a hug. Like, I'm going to go bail you out of jail. Give me a hug. And like, <laughs> You know, you don't have a boyfriend. Oh, give me a hug. Here's it. You know, go on a date. I mean, it's like crazy. And so there's a lot of this sort of what I personally see in the workplace. But I don't know. Like as a, a, a millennial, do you? Do you, I don't know. Do they feel like this is parody? The parody of them, or some way to like. Because on some level, it is funny. Like, you're like, oh, come on. Really? <laughs> right, like, y- right. you're, you're, like, your high-powered editor-in-chief boss is like, you know, so you should write that, um, yeah. that, that, Noreen, that orgasm yes. article because <laughs> I care about your sex life. You know? Come on. Noreen, as the closest we have to a millennial here. I, I am a millennial. Oh, excuse me. Excuse I, me. <laughs> it's funny. No, it's very funny that, like, the t- the definition of millennial has changed. It basically <laughs> always means young person and, like... <laughs> Yeah, there's this whole like old millennial versus young millennial thing. I'm an I'm an old millennial. It's right, just good. that I um, don't yeah. Snapchat, so people don't <laughs> recognize me as such. Um, I found this somewhat tiresome. Mm. Uh, it feels like a fantasy of what yeah. the workplace will be, and I agree with you, Latifa, about the social issues box checking. To me, that felt like. The entire method of plotting the show was like, okay, like, how do we illustrate this life lesson about feminism, like fun, fearless feminism, which is the the Cosmo Mm -hmm. tagline. It seems to be the basic idea that the writers went in with. And rather than actually like creating complicated, interesting characters, they were like, yeah, and this time we're going to tackle the orgasm gap. Ready? Go. Um, It just felt like. Like it wasn't funny enough to earn that, you yeah. know, it wasn't mm-hmm. funny or or like even even as a escapist fantasy, it didn't earn it for me. Um, but I am interested. You brought up uh, the Devil Wears Prada, which is sort of like the last, you know, the, the big like early 21st century touchstone for this kind of movie, the, mm-hmm. the like magazine journalism fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in the Devil Wears Prada, the magazine industry was sort of presented as evil and preventing the heroine from reaching her fullest best self mm-hmm. and in this fantasy version of it the like 
you reach all of your goals as a as a woman, as a feminist, everything, as a friend through devotion to the magazine, which I right. thought was such a fascinating well, twist. Um, I guess it comes from who's who creates these objects because you know the Devil Wears Prada came out of a sort of tell all from somebody who had worked as an assistant yeah. at the magazine at and Vogue, this, at I think. Vogue, yeah. Yes, and mm-hmm. this is coming from. Uh, essentially Joanna Coles, who's now not exactly, you know, now has a sort of vague role at Hearst magazines, but is has been an editor. But I think there is a generational difference, right? Like yeah, that, yeah. the person who wrote the Devil Wears Prada memoir was, I think, Gen X. And, yeah. and the, yeah. the like Gen X attitude towards work is like, you're ruining me, man. Like, I just want to be authentic. And this, I think, does have a very sort of millennial, like, completion through capitalism kind of attitude yeah, that like yeah. brands brands aren't the enemy they are you know you, you if you really want to like change the world you do it through brands so, so, so i have quotes like things i was walk like watching where i just couldn't believe there are some, some moments where i had to like actually write things down because I, <laughs> my eyes were tired from rolling them so so there's a there's like one was for example um um I am the definition of young, scrappy, and hungry. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow. Okay. And then the the other thing, the, the thing that that where I rolled my eyes too, where I think the characters seem younger than they're actually supposed to, yeah. which yeah. is a little weird. So I'm drunk and I might puke and I may need you to hold my hair back. <laughs> like that was one of the conversations between um, what the two girls, like she calls her friend and she's like, I don't care what you're doing, but I'm like at work lying all over the desk and you need to come. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, you know, that you don't, you don't, I don't see that. I don't see right. that in like once you've graduated from college and you're trying to take yourself seriously. You're not like, you know, like, you know, falling on the office floor in the middle of the night. It's just not, I mean, so there's part of it where I wonder why the characters, at least in the beginning, they made them seem so young as opposed to, you know, sometimes they cast older people to make to, to, to have younger. But they don't, you know, they don't seem like one of the, the, the comments was, well, she's been with us for several years, but she's like 23. I mean, she's only like 23. And I'm yeah. like, well, how is this possible? So, you know, there's, you know, I, I think it, it, it needs a lot of work. I, I'm glad that it's out there because there are some messages. And if we did live in like a perfect world, very fantasy like, and it's like, yeah, you can go to work and, you know, be embraced and loved and it's all great. And you have also an awesome apartment and the best clothes ever. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, as a sort of as a show, I wish they would. I, I like the characters, some of the characters. I, I don't think that the editor, she, you know, I think she's more like, you know, if Devil Wears Prada was at a community theater and she was, you know, <laughs> oh. woman, do you know what I mean? Like, she's not, Burn. she's not, Burn. sorry. Malora Hardin is great, but she's just yeah. not, I don't believe her. She yeah. looks like she's like stumbling in the shoes. It just doesn't, yes. it doesn't work. Yeah, um, that, was, that anyhow. was strange. The, it I mean, was, it she's was. She's a fantastic actor. I mean, look how she is in Transparent. Amazing. Yeah, and yeah. And the, the, the scene, and I think the first episode, so where she walked down the hallway, yeah, it was supposed to yeah, be this. The power she looked like she couldn't yeah. manage the shoes. It was very I, peculiar. Very uh, peculiar. Okay, but June, yeah. you like this show? I hate watch it. Okay. I oh, watched, I didn't know that. I mean, I've watched every episode, <laughs> and I, I, it's like one of the first shows I turn to. You know, I don't let it get dusty in my in my uh-huh. DVR, but. I I kind of laugh at it. Yeah. Um. You know. I'm 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 watching it to sort of internally make fun of it. It's not the kind of show that I hate it or that I I'm so outraged by that I tweet about it. But I'm I'm watching it to kind of go, what sort of nonsense are they going to perpetuate this week? Are we all just too old for this show? Right. I, like I wonder about that. I mean, I think too that like the. Are we just expecting too much of shows like this that are about women in the workplace? Like you remember, we were really hard 
on Good Girls Revolt that was on Amazon mm. that was about the yeah. Newsweek. Uh, you know, that was, mm-hmm. a, that was a kind of historical show. So that was looking back at like old sexism, which is easier to deal with than current sexism, perhaps. But like there are two... I don't know. Didactic? Didactic, yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it's too much to ask for it to not be didactic. Like, Sex and the City was not a didactic show and actually got at a lot of social issues, weirdly. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that this show is odd because, as you said, Latifah, the characters seem really young. But at the same time, there's a lot of sex going on. So yeah. it's a weird. <laughs> not that young. But like, no, no, no. That's a, yeah. I had the same reaction. There was like part, like the fourth episode or so. There's like a little bit more of a graphic sex scene, and I was like scandalized, you yeah. know, because like you could see them. I'm like, there. She's like, I don't know. Yeah, they <laughs> used. You know, this 19. as I mentioned, this channel used to be ABC Family, and that I, they changed the name I think because that made it seem like it was like a kids or a tweens channel, uh, which they're not going for. They're going for like family that you would. You know, Mm -hmm. shows that you would all watch together. I don't think you would watch this with your mom because of the sex. Um, And but it's kind of it does feel like there is this kind of aspirational, inspirational, educational element that doesn't really. I don't know. It feels like it's an intention with the kind of more racy, personal aspects of the storylines. Why do you guys think that um, women's magazines, employment at women's magazines continues to be such a persistent fantasy for women and for Hollywood and this like co- sort of career girl story almost always involves a journalist, almost yeah. always one who works at a magazine like this. Well, I do think the fashion closet has something to do with <laughs> it. Like that seems to be a very potent <laughs> fantasy. For me, it's more the boot closet. That's always been much yeah. more appealing to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not just women, actually. There's another trope that's very popular, which is the sports journalist. Mm. Like that's mm, yeah. the men's equivalent. There are so many mm-hmm. shows about Mm-hmm. Sports journalist uh, Josh Levine wrote a piece in Slate many years ago, which probably means there are at least ten more since then. So I think that there's an I- these these journalists never actually have to write, except you know the way that the way that Kerry Bradshaw used to have just like typing and you know words coming up. Yeah, I can't was- help but wonder why so many of these characters are female <laughs> exactly. journalists. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they don't. Have to, it seems like a very. It makes it seem like a very uh, a job that we'd all like to have because it seems super easy. <laughs> Yeah, that, I think that's part of it. It's like, I'd love to write and just be great. So I think yeah. the writing part of it, but then also the product itself. I mean, fashion magazines are, it's all about living your fantasy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, right. it's you know, how do you step out? How do you look good? How do you, you know, have better sex? You have to be, I mean, this is when you, you open the magazines and, you know, part of the criticism, of course, but also it's like you're, you should you should be seeing yourself on the pages. Yeah, and you know that's how it appeals to young people, and you know you people talk about going into sort of a, a zone or a closet and just sort of devouring the new fashion magazine. And yeah. so, in some ways, I think it it's the representation of the product too that um, you know that if I just work harder, I can I can be all of this. Wow. Um, okay, before we move on from the bold type, I want you each to tell me something you liked about it. Noreen, you start. You're putting me on the spot. Um, you know, there there's like a soapy value in it, right? Yeah. Like it's not soapy enough for my taste, yeah. but it's like, you know, pretty people in, um, you know, complicated romantic situations. And that's sort of fun. Latifah? So I'm going to be honest. The, the number one thing is uh, the the love interest of mm-hmm. Kat as mm-hmm. the lesbian Persian artist was, mm-hmm. I think, itself a, 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 a making a really um, po- positive and uh, progressive statement. And then mm-hmm. I think generally it's sex positive for yeah. the most part. Yeah. So that's, I think that's really important. And the more we can talk about sex with young people, I guess, the better. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I 
I've been ruined by you know the way that television generally has ramped up the the you know scandal started it I think with just like crazy twists and turns we've come to expect so much action and so many storylines uh, that I do think the plot already like I think we've had about five six episodes and we've already had so many so many things happen um, that it's it's a little out of control. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kind of think it's good for people to see, like, yeah, if your boss won't give you a um, financial raise, maybe ask for better benefits. I mean, even though it wasn't particularly believable, Sutton going through that um, a couple of weeks ago, I think in like the episode that aired on August 1st, um, you know, maybe that it's good to have that kind of very specific action modeled on television, no matter how, I don't know how how realistic it is, but... I that seems like a good thing. If you listeners have a different perspective on the bold type or if you'd like to tell us that you agree with us, go to Facebook. <laughs> We're like Donald Trump. We only want positive reinforcement. <laughs> yeah. Read us. Listeners, tell us how much you like us. Um, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash double X Gabfest or send an email to double X Gabfest at slate dot com. Our final topic this week is Boys, a new video by British singer Charlie XCX, which subverts the dominant paradigm, (laughs) right? That's what we always say, of the mainstream music video by pointing the camera at men, all kinds of men, most of them famous, doing things like cuddling puppies, having pillow fights, eating pancakes, and standing fully clothed under a shower head. Let's let's just hear the song that the video accompanies. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. I was busy dreaming about boys, boys, boys. Head is spinning, thinking about boys. I need that bad boy to do me right on the Friday. And I need that good one to wake me up on the Sunday. That one from work and come over on Monday. Uh, Noreen, is staring at boys doing cute things a feminist victory? Uh, is staring at boys on camera a feminist victory? Sure. Why the <laughs> hell not? It was fun. So let's take it. Um, I love this video. I think it's just super fun and funny. And to describe it a little bit more, yes. I initially recognized almost no one among the boys. So they're sort of like... That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean they're they're like um sort of indie cool I would say is is how she like chose the people in it. So there's there like I recognize people like Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend and then you have like Diplo that guy and then um I recognize Tom Daly the Olympic diver. Wow, I did not. Icon. I did not. Um wait, so let's let's let me find a list of it. Okay, so Joe Jonas know who that is he's pancakes flume no idea <laughs> mark ronson stormzy a lot of them i think were cool british rappers which uh-huh. i think is very cool i just am not plug- and some of them are like that scene. youtube stars yeah yeah. Uh, yeah wiz khalifa i recognized him actually um ty dollar sign charlie pooth vance joy chromio jack antonoff g easy will i am so it's sort of like a who's who of men that the internet loves uh-huh. um mm-hmm. uh riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed was on there too. He's he's actually pretty recognizable. Yeah. But what I thought was fun about it, okay, so so the idea is that she is like, you know, in most in most um pop music videos and it's a female star, you watch her gyrate, right? Like it's like Britney Spears with a snake or whatever. Um 
And the, the like, <laughs> take a moment to pause to consider Britney Spears and the snake. Okay, carry on. <laughs> my my references are super fresh. Um, but that is like to me the the ultimate like you know woman being forced to objectify herself in her own music video. And Charlie XTX was just like, no, I'm just going to put on some guys that I think would be fun to objectify. And the the interesting thing about it, if we if we look at it as a version of the female gaze, is it's not like she chose people who were conventionally hot with six packs. She so chose people you might be super into and have a crush on because you knew their work or knew mm-hmm. their how funny they were or understood that like a, a less conventional version of male beauty and were into that. Like that's what I loved about it most was the sort of breadth of the people that she chose. Latifa, when we uh, when this topic was suggested, you gave a very enthusiastic yes, please. <laughs> what what drove that response? Well, I have to say, you know, not even reading the articles that covered it, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say it was it, I thought it was funny. I thought it was sexy. It was, you know, I I too did not recognize most people in the in the video, but I and I the song was kind of catchy, so yeah. I, I didn't mind that. But it was really um I like the. This is sounds so like nerdy, but I like the diversity mm-hmm. in the. You know, there, there was something for everyone, yeah. and um, there there's lots of which which we don't always actually see in the male mm-hmm. gaze. But there was there were different types of people, different types of bodies, different mm-hmm. types of situations, and that was refreshing to me. And I think you know, in any context, when you, I think going through the trouble of. You know, a lot of times when we see male videos of women, the women all look the same, mm-hmm. actually, regardless of the situation they're in. They look the same. They're dressed the same. They're all doing the same thing. Um, and part of what was refreshing about this was the, the, the choice of the different scenarios and the different scenes. Mm-hmm. And I found it really refreshing, honestly. And I don't even watch music videos, right. like hardly ever. And so the, watch, I watched it and I was really like, oh, wow, this is so cute. Oh, it's funny. Oh, look at him. So it was like I had a really nice you know enjoyable and some of it was a little bit like wow okay that's uh we're at work people but um <laughs> like what it ones? was oh, no. well well pancake man i have to say pancake man was like uh okay I, you know i well i have to admit i also love pancakes it was a combination of the pancakes the pink room and the um so so I personally thought it was great. And I think that the fact that she is openly talking about it it deliberately, you know, some of these people like do these really, really interesting things that sort of, you know, have a feminist air to them and like, no, no, it was just it wasn't meant to be a feminist thing. But she's, you know, she's going out there and talking about how deliberate she was in doing it, Mm -hmm. which I also appreciate a lot. And so, you know, it was the funny and it was also a little bit funny, too. Mm -hmm. I do wonder, though. Some in some of the the pictures, like what what the what the some of the more famous people, like what their response was, mm. and some of them seem a little bit more, um, you know, reserved and doing <laughs> things they might typically do in a video. You know, like the, there's there's the purple pupper and yes. the pancake man, but then there's some like. You know, throwing money in the air, and you know the money is pink, but it's very. It seems very more similar to what the, those those artists would do. So right. I wonder, I wondered how like ambitious and what that conversation was about what people's comfort level is. And one of the things that she said was, you know, she kind of harassed people. You know, she knew a lot of these folks uh-huh. personally. And so she, you know, she harassed them into agreeing to do it. And so part of it is like wh- how much of it was like the the guy's idea to do yeah. their thing, their shtick, and how much of it was her idea. So, you know, I was curious about that dynamic too because there's lots of different creative um, injections and styles. So yes. it was kind of – I thought it was a good art piece really. 
I, I look forward uh, in 10 or 15 years to the oral history of the making of the boys video so we can find out about like <laughs> 10 or 15 years. Like, why don't you sign that right now? June? I know. Let's get into Internet time. I need that next week. Um, now, it was odd to me, though, that it was also, you know, maybe I, I don't watch very many music videos. So maybe I'm going from, you know, a mood that was from years ago. But there was something about the 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 sort of PG-ness of it. I mean, the kind of cuddling puppies and, and eating pancakes, which, I mean, the well, eating don't... pancakes obviously was a little bit uh, NSFW <laughs> but there was for the Latifah. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, shouldn't it be sexier? Is it is it feminist to, like, desexualize these cute guys? Don't you think that's, like, a joke a yeah, little bit do, about actually. the female gaze? Like, yes. people people always say that thing, like, oh, it turns me on when he does the dishes, which I, know. I don't think it's true. But, right, like, right. but I think she was playing Oh, with I think that that's idea. absolutely true. I mean, I personally, <laughs> I completely disagree with you. I think, you know... This like the whole like going back to like old like Mr. Clean. I think Mr. Clean is like totally <laughs> sexy and like this idea that you know you have men in these like you know different situations, these different contexts that are not actual sexual contexts. I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps that they don't have their shirts on in a lot of them. So. <laughs> yeah, but I think she is she is playing with the ways in which female desire and yeah. the quote unquote female gaze is different than the way men think and and like you know saying it's more expansive saying it's not like so black and white like it must be you know a six-pack of oiled up abs in order for me to to want this man and which which is the the total fun of the video yeah Mm -hmm. um slate's heather schwedell wrote a post on the double x uh blog that said that as adorable as the video is the fat jew and charlie puth should be excised because unlike Mm -hmm. the others they are not exemplary boys now obviously that was pretty tongue-in-cheek but um, does this kind of like cavalcade of guys, like when you have a whole parade of people, does it sort of draw that, oh, I don't like this guy. You're associating yourself with this icky guy criticism. I mean, did she open herself up to that? Charlie, I mean. Well, I don't think we should like, I mean, if, if we take this as like a representation of desire, why are we policing other people's desire? Like, maybe you like assholes like Charlie <laughs> Puth. No, seriously. <laughs> that is a legitimate stance that a lot of women have. Yay. All right. No, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Anything else to say about this? Watch it. I don't All know. right. Yes, watch it. Okay. Everybody, watch this video. Tell us what you think. Um, and there's some guides out there, too, you know, if you want to. Yes. Um, if, Eric, our Eric Thomas is uh, is a famous writer. Fam- well, he should be famous, more famous. But he's a writer for Elle magazine, speaking of fashion magazines. And um, he's one of my favorite writers. And he's sort of a political writer, but he also does culture and he's hilarious. And he has a little primer, your guide to every essential gift from the Charlie um, XCX boys video. So um, that's actually hilarious. And so under each gift, he sort of has his advice on what to make of each, each <laughs> And you can find a link to that piece on the Double X GabFest page at slate.com slash XX. All right, before we get to our recommendations, I want to put in a plug for another Slate podcast, Dear Prudence. Everyone who reads Slate knows about Prudy, the magazine's long-running advice column, but listeners may not know that it is also a podcast. Mallory Ortberg, a.k.a. Prudence, is a fantastic host, just as wise in her audio incarnation as she is in print. And every week she has a guest, and she gets some fabulous guests. This week it's Roxane Gay. Uh, Chew over the questions uh, from listeners and readers and just everybody in the world, and the 
podcast is just as entertaining as the print column and, you know, maybe even more so since we actually get to hear Mallory and her guests' voices. You'll find a new episode every Tuesday morning and I am sure that you'll enjoy it. Okay, recommendations. Noreen, what are you recommending this week? Um, I'm going to recommend a cookbook. Um, a yeah, cookbook? a cookbook. Um, Judith Jones, who was famous mostly as an editor, actually died this week um, well into her 90s. She's known mostly for uh, bringing Julia Child to America. But it also, I didn't know this until um, reading her obituary, she rescued the diary of Anne Frank from the slush pile when she was an editorial assistant oh and you know said to her boss, this is incredibly compelling. We must publish this, um, which that alone, you know, is <laughs> is an incredible contribution. Um, but she also wrote this cookbook that I really love after her husband died. Her her husband was um, also a cookbook writer. They wrote a bunch of books on like bread together and wow. stuff like that. But um, she sort of lost her cooking mojo after her husband died. And then she wrote a book called The Pleasures of Cooking for One, which um, if you've ever, uh, you know, tried to do that, it, every recipe, you know, makes four to six servings and then you're you're stuck eating the same thing for breakfast, lunch and dinner <laughs> for several days. And so this book um you know, essentially does single serving sizes or tells you, okay, like you're going to cook this amount of, of chicken, but then you're going to use it in X, Y, and Z way. And, and she's just a really charming writer and also just, you know, talks about cooking and eating as sort of a sensory experience. Um, and also the secret of this book is that many of the recipes are perfectly proportioned for two. Mm. So in fact, if you're, if you're cooking for two and it's <laughs> not like a big family, it's great. Um, and so in honor of her, I think this week I might actually do the thing that I've always wanted to do, but have not, which is on the cover of this book, there's a beautiful single serving souffle, oh my. um, which just seems like such an ambitious thing to do for yourself, but also a beautiful representation of what, you know, what this book was about. So maybe I will finally buy the right size ramekin and make a <laughs> single serving souffle for dinner. Noreen, you have what, five siblings? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm fr so I'm from a big family. I sort of all the the way I grew up cooking was like, you know, big big uh, <laughs> cooking for eight. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I can make spaghetti for eight really well. Wow. See, as an only child, I'm like, oh, that must be weird. So <laughs> I guess we each learn what uh, we're each most familiar with what we grow up with. <laughs> Latifa, what are you going to recommend for us this week? So I'm deeply steeped in in British crime drama. So mm. one of the things, so what I'm trying to relate it to the show. So one of the things I absolutely love is the the, the women police chief or the women detective or detective yes. inspector, as it is often in England and Great Britain. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite all time um, women bosses is um, a character Vera Stanhope, oh. who's played by Brenda Blevin, and she is essentially um, a chief inspector in northern England or in a town called Northumberland and it's very beautiful there's lots of like you know hills and moors and you know you know people found in the grass and it's really pretty to watch but also um this character is a middle-aged character who has her own demon. She drinks a lot. She kind of she's kind of frumpy. She kind of looks like Paddington Bear. She wears this hat and like a big overcoat. But her dynamics as a boss is really is really what's so fascinating to me and wonderful is that she she does she does sort of like speaking of I think she's a combination of you know 
um, you know, grandmother, you know, meets uh, Amanda Priestley. I mean, she's very <laughs> cutting, but she's also very like, you know, here, have a drink. And you know, at the same time, you know, she's she's she doesn't suffer any of these folks. And most of the people that work for her are men. Um, and obviously, anything in non-traditional jobs, like working in law enforcement, is a very non-traditional job for for women. But I, I'm always interested in seeing depictions of women who, you know, and imagining very much what it would be like. But you know, trying to being a little bit curmudgeonly probably because of how it all went for her in her life. But right. it's absolutely wonderful. It's beautiful to watch. Um, you will love her character. She's she's like warm. You want to kind of sit and have like a have a scotch with her. I mean, she's very, you know, she she, you know, she doesn't take she doesn't have any self-care. She like, you know, she sort of eats sandwiches on the fly that she grabs from her like, you know, her underlings. And she's she drives a really old car. It's very Columbo in her sort of way she figures out, you know, how the how the, the, the crimes are solved. Anyway, that's one of the things I love to do is to find women bosses that are fun to watch. <laughs> and so Vera Stanhope, she's you can watch it on um, sometimes on PBS on the weekends, or if you have uh, Hulu, you can watch it, um, or if you I have Acorn, you yeah. can watch it on Acorn as well. So a new series just went on Acorn. So that's the show is called Vera, right? Yeah, yeah, Vera. It's not new, but it's yeah, it's yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, good recommendation. My recommendation is for a newish Netflix series called Friends from College, which is a terrible name. I it sounds so dull, and I didn't watch it for the first uh, week or so. But it's a winning concept. So Mm. the which is that a friend group from college they went to school in Boston. You know what that means? Uh, About twenty or so years after graduation, uh, they are still tight. And in the first episode. Two of the friends, a married couple, move to New York where everybody else lives. And so it kind of revives the friend group. And they all now live in the same city. And I don't usually like excruciation comedy, uh, but some episodes had me snorting and squealing and choking with laughter, even though the characters, really none of them are particularly likable. And um, and as, as some other characters point out, you guys have a horrible dynamic. But I absolutely laughed like a drain over it. And the cast is fantastic. It has many great actors like Keegan-Michael Key, um, Kobe Smulders from How I Met Your Mother, Fred Savage, Billy Eichner, and the former ADA from Law & Order. Uh, Very funny show, according to me. Eight (laughs) short episodes. So it will leave you pining for more or you'll never get past the first 10 minutes. All right. I think that's it for this week. Our producer this week was Daniel Schrader, who is also our amazing intern. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Steve Lichtai. Just a reminder to please call 929-266-8195 with your Is It Sexist questions so that we can answer them on our next show. We had a wonderful guest today, Latifa Lyles. Latifa, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. It was fun. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.